This is the Employment Law Show. All right, welcome to it, and good to have you on the show here on a uh, on a Tuesday night. Thank you for joining us, John Scholes here, and my good pal, partner Sam Furu, to market LLP. That would be Andrew Goldberg, six thirty to seven Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you haven't got a beat on that by now, well, now you do. Now you know that we're on four nights a week here live. Feel free to call in uh, right now, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. We're going to cover a lot of stuff on the show tonight, including your calls. But other than that, you want to reach out to Andrew at your leisure, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And might just have to reference this website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free and anonymous because wrapped up into that puppy is the severance pay calculator. Two million plus people have used it, so you can use it too anytime to figure out what severance should be. If it ever comes down the pike that you were let go and you need that particular website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Plus, we'll get to this. If you're an employee, you should never dot, dot, dot. We'll get to those talking points in just a bit with Andrew and your phone calls, of course. Again, lines wide open, so so bring it on, 416-870-6400. Mr. Goldberg, what's, uh, what do you got going on for the case of the day, brother? Hey, John. Um, well, I wanted to discuss an article that came out today that actually prompted a few people to call me on this topic, but mm-hmm. if you haven't heard, and for the listeners that may have not heard, um, it involves Freshy, the restaurant Freshy. Right. And they're doing something, I guess, kind of interesting from a technological standpoint. They've implemented kind of a hybrid between having, you know, physical servers in their location, cashiers, and a self-serve model. So what they've done is rather than have kind of, you know, your typical self-serve station where you you look at the electronic screen and you punch in your order and and it prompts it for you, what they've actually done is hired people um, from, you know, according to the article, at least, uh, as far as Nicaragua. And these people, you're, if you're a customer of Freshy, you're actually connecting with them via video conference, uh, you know, thousands of kilometers away. So they're interacting with you live uh, over a video conference plat- platform. And, you know, as a result, there's a bunch of jobs that used to belong to, you know, workers in Ontario that are now being outsourced overseas to be done remotely. And this kind of facilitated a bunch of questions from people regarding your rights. If an employer outsources your job, you know, what does that mean to you? Are they allowed to do that? What is the consequence? And I wanted to just kind of touch on that briefly today. And, and what does it all boil down to? If, if you were, if you fell victim to this, what happens to your job and do you have any recourse? Well, the first thing that I'll mention is, you know, an employer does absolutely have the right, I guess, to outsource your job. Um, they can do that if they want to get rid of you as an employee and they want to hire someone overseas. That's their prerogative. Is that good for Canadians? That's another question. Legally, can they do that? Sure. But the, you know, the result of that is you as an employee are entitled to your severance. If you've been let go because your job's been outsourced, that has no implications when it comes to your severance entitlements. An employer can't say, oh, well, we've just outsourced all those roles, so we don't owe you severance or anything. Of course, you'd be owed a fair severance package if that were to have happen to you. It's interesting, though, from an employer standpoint, if you were if you were representing Freshy, I mean, this person that you said, say, in Nicaragua or, or wherever, I mean, if they're working for your company, Canadian Canadian company, I mean, do, does do Canadian employment laws 
are they under that umbrella, even though they're out of country? How does that work? Well, it is an interesting point. They they would likely be subject to the employment laws to the extent that they exist in the in the country that they're located. Um, the oh. Ontario uh, regime wouldn't apply to those individuals. It's possible that by way of some kind of contract, I suppose, um, you know, you could read in the Ontario legal system. But the idea, obviously, is that they don't want to pay these individuals our minimum wage in Ontario, for example, 15 or so dollars an hour. They're probably paying them 10, 20 percent that amount. Obviously, if the Ontario laws were to apply, they cannot get away with that. Right. So the whole idea is to circumvent our legal system by hiring overseas and not paying you know, well-deserved Canadians and, you know, in this case, Ontarians, the, you know, the money to work the job that they used to have. Yeah, I guess it totally makes sense. We've had calls in the past, you and I in the show, people working for an American company based in Ontario. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's an American company, they still, they're still under the, uh, the purview of, of, uh, you know, Ontario slash Canadian employment law. So I guess it would work the other way as, as well. Uh, 416-870-6400. Again, 416-870-6400. Time to bring on your phone calls. You have questions about your job, employment, severance. You're calling uh, for yourself behalf, on behalf of a pal. Maybe it's a vaccine question. Maybe it's a mandate question. Doesn't matter. Bring it on. That's what you got this half hour for. So we look forward to, uh, to taking those calls. But interesting topic today, pal. That is, uh, if you're an employee, you should never do these things. And these things can sometimes, as we're going to go through them, and as Andrew will expand on them, save you a lot of time, aggravation, and uh, sometimes money as well. So let's uh, let's dive into these, brother. First one is, uh, if you're an employee, you should never make assumptions about your employment rights. What do you mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is <clears throat> just because you as an employee might believe something to be the case, either because, you know, you read it somewhere online or maybe you read it with the Ministry of Labor or you read some legislation that might point to something. The the employment law landscape is not as simple as one might think, um, you know, not to toot my own horn that I'm some kind of ultra brilliant person doing the job I do. But <laughs> But there is some, you know, it is a complicated issue, uh, like overarching issue, the employment law landscape. And if you make assumptions about your rights and what you're entitled to or not entitled to, I mean, it's one thing to just say don't make assumptions. What we're really trying to say here is don't act on those assumptions or don't fail to act because of those assumptions. Because as soon as you do that, that really could have a detrimental impact to your entitlements. Um, and you don't want to get yourself caught up in that situation. So you're always best at least to consult an employment lawyer. If you're, if you have an idea, if you think something's happening in the workplace, you're worried about it, rather than make an assumption, you can have a 20 minute to an hour consultation and actually just get the peace of mind that you need. Yeah, I think I think the probably the most you know relevant or at least overarching uh, point under that is people that you know they they talk to a buddy who just let go or their cousin Steve or they read some blog online and they figure the classic one is you know a week per two weeks per year uh, for severance. Yeah, that's normal. That's what everybody gets. That's probably one of the biggest ones, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. That that's a huge one. Um, you know, where you might read online or exactly talk to someone that tells you about your entitlements and your that could be so far off, one one or two weeks per year of service, as we've mm-hmm. talked about all the time on the show, you could be upwards of a month per year of service. So if you don't act on that and simply, you know, if you get a termination package, let's just say, and it offers you two weeks per year of service plus an extra, you know, two weeks to sign, 
you might think to yourself, oh, well, I read online, I only get two weeks per year of service, so this extra two weeks is gravy, I might as well sign. But as we know, that's absolutely not the case. You could be giving up you know, thousands and thousands of dollars by doing that, and you could have figured that out by having a quick conversation uh, with an employment lawyer. So there's no need to leave that kind of money on the table or forfeit your rights just because you know you hear something or read something. Again, another example, mind you, involves mm-hmm. the, you know the temporary layoffs during the pandemic. A lot of individuals were of the you know their companies might have told them up oh, because of the pandemic we can put you on a layoff and we're yeah, allowed to do yeah. this and maybe people thought oh, okay well they can and that's what's happening here and until you speak to an employment lawyer you you're not going to learn that that's not the case. And you can actually speak to that employment lawyer now because Andrew's here for the remainder of the uh, until seven o'clock anyway. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred help at employment lawyer. .ca's email address anytime as well. Now, if you're an employee, you should never, number two, accept significant changes to the terms of your employment. We can't hammer this one home hard enough, can we? No, this is probably, <clears throat> this one's an interesting one because, you know, when we talk about severance entitlements and, and things like that, because it's, you know, it's a pretty catastrophic situation to get fired and to be offered a severance package, most people or more people than not will actually seek out an employment lawyer just based on the severity of that kind of occurrence. But when we talk about significant changes to your employment, we might be talking about things like, you know, your employer's moving your uh, schedule around so that you used to work Monday through Friday, and now you're working Tuesday through, you know, Saturday, or you're starting earlier in the day or later in the day, or your compensation, they said, look, you know, we're going to change your compensation structure from, a base salary and commission to only commission. And you might say, okay, well, you know, I'll try these things out and see how it goes. And you, you, the change is implemented and you keep going about your business. Now, if that happens, then you're foregoing your right to essentially say that, you know, I want to take action because I don't agree with this. And usually the recourse you have, if you don't agree to changes or significant changes to your employment is you can claim constructive dismissal, treat it as a termination, and pursue a severance package and and get out of there. But as soon as you accept the changes, not only are you going to kind of limit your ability <clears throat> to claim a constructive dismissal, um, you know, on that situation and pursue your severance, but right. what also will happen is you might limit your ability to do so in the future. So if they make a future change to something similar, the employer can say, oh, well, we made the change last time and now we're you know, it's something we're obviously allowed to do because we've done it before. So these small things or what might appear to be small things could have, you know, catastrophic impact on your rights as an employee. So you want to be very, very careful. You never want to accept changes. Um, And if you do to some degree, if it's a temporary thing, you want to qualify that, okay, I will accept it, but on these terms. So you don't create some ambiguity as to what is allowed and not allowed. And we often talk about in that regard that, you know, some of these things, they may, you know, in the future, they may be beneficial to you, they may not. But we often talk about in past shows that you should approach in writing your employer saying, you know what, I want to be a company guy. I like working here. I know you got to make these changes. I'm not big on it, but it might not be that bad. I'd like to actually try it out temporarily and see how it works for me, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you might like your job. You know, say, for example, you move from a base salary and commission to only commission and you know, the company said, oh, you know, you'll make way more money under this structure. It's funny, one 
something that comes up all the time is an employer who tries to change, you know, the compensation from base or a combination of base and commission to only commission. Mm -hmm. And they're so adamant that this employee will make more money. And the employee's just like, I don't want anything to do with that. And they, they, you know, they like threaten to fire the employee and all this kind of stuff. And I just find it so funny where, you know, if this employee is saying they're willing to take less money and you're ensuring they'll make more money under the new plan, then let them take less money if that's what they want to do. But obviously, that's not how it actually is. They're probably going to make less money and it's all garbage. So, But you, you might, as an employee, kind of suss it out on your own and say, you know what, I'll try this new model for a bit. I might take a couple grand pay cut, but I don't want to have to look for a new job with less vacation pay and yada, yada, yada. So they try it out. But And if you want to you know, be a team player and keep, keep working... Um, you can do that, but you might want to say, look, you know, I'm accepting this change to my compensation based on your assurances that I'll make more money. I'm prepared to try it out for three or four months to see how it goes. But if I'm not making more money, then I reserve the right, uh, you know, to request that this goes back or plain constructive dismissal or whatever. 416-870-6400 as we get into our first break and uh, we'll give you a chance to pick up a phone 416-870-6400 and we'll continue our conversation Tuesday night edition Employment Law Show continues. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. You bet. Welcome back indeed. It's 648. John Schools here. Andrew Goldberg, partners, San Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. Again, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Yeah, use that uh, use that number, man. 416-870-6400. You have plenty of time still to call in and ask your questions. In the meantime, we're going to switch gears in a moment. We'll want to get to, to one more point about this one. If you're an employee, you should never accept a verbal termination. I know people that have done that. Give me some details on it, Andrew. Well, you know, what happens... Ultimately, if you accept a verbal termination, you risk running, you know, you run the risk rather that the company will turn around and say, oh, well, we never terminated this person at all, right? So if you accept a verbal termination, let's just say, and then you retain, you know, you don't get a fair severance package, so you retain me. I reach out, I say, look, you've terminated this person, give them their severance, what's going on here? The company might turn around and say, oh, well, we never fired them, they quit or they abandoned their job or we don't know what they're talking about. And it's not really limited to just verbal terminations, but there's lots of incidents where you might not want to have it verbally. And, and you know, the, the simple answer to this, this problem and a simple solution would be if you are terminated verbally, then write to your employer right after your manager or whoever and say, hey, just confirming our discussion earlier today where you let me know I'm let go and get it in writing, right? You just want to document yeah. those things. Let's get to a uh, call, 416-870-6400. Old Bay, thank you for uh, for standing by for, for but a moment. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking my call. I've been listening to you guys for many years. You guys ah, you're good. awesome. Ah, thank you so much. What's your question, brother? Yeah, my question is uh, that is this uh, non-computation still in force in Ontario, the non-computation clause? And second question is uh, when uh, driving for work purpose and an employer will pay for kilometers. Mm. Is there any minimum amount that an employer must pay under the act? Okay, so, well, good questions. The first one about non-compete is in Ontario, 
they have implemented new law that essentially going forward gets rid of non-compete clauses that they won't be enforceable for for the vast majority of, of people in the province. Now, there are some exemptions. So if you're, you know, an executive, like a very senior employee, uh, or if it was part of a, you know, a purchase of a company. So if you sold a company and then, you know, got a non-compete as part of that, it doesn't apply, but that's going to be very few situations for everybody else. Um, if you cannot enter into non-competes anymore, they will not be enforceable. Um, so that's a very good question, and that's relatively new. Um, and it just goes to show that we don't want to limit people from getting new jobs after they're let go or leave their past job. Um, with respect to your second question, if you're driving, not all instances of driving for work will you should you be compensated for. If you're driving to work in the morning or home from work at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily count as you being on the clock. But if you're driving between locations during the workday, then you should be compensated during that period of time. Whether there's a minimum amount for your mileage, I mean, that's up for you and your employer to discuss. Uh, that being said, you know, you obviously need to make minimum wage and need to be compensated for those hours that you're working. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Olve. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you for taking the time tonight to uh, to call in. If you have any further questions for Andrew, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Okay, let's move on down to this with the uh, remaining minutes in between phone calls as well. Again, 416-870-6400. You still got some time. If you want to call, we'd love to talk to you. Top myths of termination. First one is this. Your boss can only let you go, only let you go, if they have a good reason to do so. Right. And that comes up time and time again where, you know, people call us and they, they try to justify the, you know, lack of, you know, reasonability in their termination. They might say, look, I was such a good employee. I had such a good year last year. I've been killing it this year with my numbers, yada, yada, yada. How can they mm -hmm. let me go? I want my job back. But the reality is your boss doesn't need to have, you know, quote unquote, a good reason to let you go. But if they do not have a good reason, and by good reason, we mean, you know, some wrongdoing on your part is what most people mean. I, you know, I'm not horrible at my job. I didn't do anything terrible to my coworker or anything like that. Um, they can still let you go without those reasons. They don't need any reason, but you need to be compensated with a fair severance package. If your employer is trying to withhold your severance, by saying that you did something so wrong that you were deserving of being fired, which is called just cause, then absolutely the employer has to establish that they have a good reason to let you go for just cause. But absent that, if you're as long as you're provided a fair severance package, that's the question. If you've been offered, like that's what we're going to be doing for you. If you have, if you're a good employee, and we're going to look at your severance package the extent that you received one and try to get you as much money as possible that you're entitled to. And as much as you want your job back in certain cases, it's not going to happen. Again, grab another call. We'll get it over to uh, AJ who's been standing by for a moment. AJ, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for answering my call. How are you guys? Good, man. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Shoot. Um, well, it's in uh, question to correctional services in Ontario. So there's two types of contracts. One is a fixed-term employee contract, and the other is the full-term employee contract. So the fixed-term employee contract basically means that you're not a full-time employee, 
and your hours are not guaranteed. Now, if you were to get terminated, because they do in the contract state that they could possibly just not renew your contract, would you be entitled to a severance package? Are you talking about whether you're terminated during the contract or it's just not continued at the end? No, like just if they just decided, well, both quite, both is actually on my mind, actually, if you were terminated during and if they ended up just not renewing your contract. Right. Well, there are, it depends on your position in cor- correctional services is interesting because you're, Technically, a lot of those individuals, I believe, are working for the government itself, like a, a ministry of the government. And there right. are some mechanisms where you have to go through your own kind of grievance procedure, depending on what type of employee you are. So it yes. would be kind of specific to your unique situation. So it would be a correctional officer. That would be the, na- the title of the position. Right. So I think oftentimes you would be required to go through the grievance process to see what your recourse is there, which would be unique from other types of employees. I've dealt with this before, but for more kind of senior correctional employees that it doesn't necessarily apply to. But, you know, rather than getting into detail now, I would just give us a call um, to discuss your specific, if you have like specific situation that you're concerned about and whether you were let go or think you're going to be let go, that and, and you have a copy of your contract, I would just give us a call, provide all that information, and we could kind of set you up with a kind of answer that's tailored to you because it is a very unique and specific uh, question just because of the nature of your job. Right, right. All right. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. I'll reach out to you through email if that's all right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate the uh, call. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Let's get to one more of these uh, these talking points down, and this is, uh, you know, top – Myths of termination number two is this. You must go to work for, a, or at least you must work for a large company for at least five years to receive severance. And at best, you're going to get a year per, uh, week per year. Right. And that's kind of, you know, if you recall at the outset of the show, mm-hmm. we spoke briefly about not making assumptions about your employment rights. Uh, that kind of falls hand in hand with that topic because you might read online that to get something called severance, you do have to work five years for a large company and it is one week per year, but that's a very, that's your minimum entitlement in a very specific situation, but that has no bearing on your full severance entitlements. And you absolutely, that's, that's typically a myth because the vast majority of people are owed what's called their full common law severance, which would, you know, far exceed that one week per year. So while you might read something like that online, that's why this is much more confusing than just simply reading something and saying, oh, I know what I'm talking about, because that doesn't take away from the fact that you could be owed, you know, closer to a month per year, regardless of what, you know, that that provision. Yeah, there's so much misinformation online. I mean, we, we touched on that a little earlier in the show, so you really got to be, uh, be careful when it comes to that sort of thing. You get into blogs and People saying this stuff and that stuff. Oh, I read somewhere else. But, uh, you know, make the shortcut and simply call Andrew. We're done for the night now, but we'll be back in tomorrow at 6.30 and Thursday as well. And reaching out to Andrew and his team is simple. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, free and anonymous. Full of information, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You can use that anytime you like. We'll catch you again tomorrow night right here at 6.30.